0: Take just a second and turn around, greet four or five people. Tell them welcome in the name of Jesus Christ. And don't be seated, remain standing. Praise God, he's good. God is good. I'm looking around. I see him. I just spot him. Daryl and Wallace Gordon, would you guys come forward, please? You glad to be here today? You glad to be able to worship God today? See, we celebrated Easter last week, but y'all got to understand one thing. We're celebrating Easter again this Sunday. Every Sunday is a little Resurrection Sunday. We celebrate that He is still risen. He is still risen. So I'm so glad that you're here and you're able to worship with us today. I'm glad to be here today. Um, God is good. This couple, Daryl and Wallace Gordon, came into our church how long ago, guys? Almost three years ago. And they came in at a time where our church had gone through some stuff. We had experienced some hits that we didn't necessarily anticipate. We had some struggles to go through. We, we lost some people that we thought were going to be with us for a while, and, uh, and it was a tough time, but God brought these two in, and they have been such a blessing to our church. Uh, Daryl has led our prayer ministry. He's done our prayer ministry on Saturday nights, on Sunday mornings. He has just been such a faithful contributor and Wallace has been so good to be part of our hospitality team and they've just been really a beam of light in this church over the last three years and uh, unfortunately for us um, God is moving them on through finding new employment they're not going to be here with us anymore this may be their last Sunday they're not completely sure but I said let's go ahead and do this today Um, but they're just exactly what we want from people who attend our church They came in and they blessed our church, and I pray that our church was a blessing to them. We want that sort of symbiotic relationship where we're blessing each other, and uh, we're going to miss them. They're moving to the coast. We're we're sanctified people, so we can't say the beach, but they're moving to the coast. Uh, Got employment down there. They're looking for a new church home, and look, they're going to be a light wherever they go. And I've told them, look, you're forever Rushwooders. You're always part of this church, and this church will always be part of you. But um, we're just so glad to send them out and and to see what God's going to do with them. And we'll keep up with them on social media. And I've got a feeling we're going to run into them again sometime. Um, But we want to pray, and we almost want to commission them and send them out into the next phase of their lives. So if you would like to join us this morning, we're going to pray for the service, and we're going to pray over them and if you'd like to just come lay hands on them surround them let them know how loved they are by supporting them in prayer this morning and um, again we're sad to lose them but they said this morning Daryl said in our prayer time we're forever friends because we're in Jesus Christ that's the only way to have friends forever is for us to be in Jesus Christ if you have friends that don't know Jesus they can't they can only be lifetime friends they can't be forever friends but if they know Jesus then we can be God is so good I just say this morning if you I want to do this just Lord laid it on my heart if you have any sort of special need on your heart today anything that maybe a burden. the song we just sang is about waiting to see God do it again he's always been faithful but we need to see him do it again and maybe you're waiting on that this morning maybe you've got something you're going through a struggle something in your life that's painful, something that you're waiting on. And we believe God is going to be faithful, and we believe he's going to move again. But if that's you today, would you just raise your hand and say, Yeah, that's me. That's me. I've got some stuff. I'm going through some stuff right now. I'm just waiting on God's faithfulness. Be assured he's going to show up. Be assured he's always on time. And so uh, I want to pray for you all this morning as well. Father, we come and we are thankful today we are thankful today that you have found us worthy to be your church not in and of ourselves but through the work of Jesus Christ and father I thank you that you bring people into our lives at, for a season at just the right time to give us confidence to give us strength to speak and to pray into our lives to give us support when we need that And father I am very thankful for Daryl and Wallace Gordon I am so thankful that you brought them to be part of this church for a season. God, the wisdom that they employed, the love for your people that they showed. And God, they, they're not from the same background as this church, but it doesn't matter because as Pastor Jason said, we are all part of the body of Jesus Christ through his blood. And so I'm so thankful that you brought them here to bless us. And God, I pray that we have been a blessing to them. And so, God, this morning, as they go into a new chapter of their lives, as they will be leaving us, uh, as the old song goes, friends are friends forever if the Lord's the Lord of them. And God, they are our friends through Jesus Christ. And so, we just pray that you would bless them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, that you would just make the next part of their lives the best part of their lives. And God, expand their territory. Give them fruit for their labor. God, we pray that many would come into the kingdom because of what they do for you. Bless them, we pray. And we're so thankful for them, God. We would be remiss if we did not thank you for them this morning. And we are so grateful for them being part of our lives. Now, Father, we saw a lot of hands raised this morning as, as your church is already in the kingdom. But we've not seen the full dawning of that kingdom yet. And so we live in that already but not yet. And there are still pains and there are still problems and there are still issues that come into our lives, God, and and we have to deal with them. And we believe, we believe that one day we're not going to have to worry about those things anymore. But God, we live in this world right now. And so we need your help, we need your blessings, we need your love, we need your comfort. I marvel that Jesus said that when he would send the Holy Spirit that he was sending the Comforter. And we just pray that your Holy Spirit would be a comforter to those of us that mourn, that are afflicted, God. But we also know that you can do all things. And so, God, we pray you would make a way where there's no way. God, the world might look at it and say, it's impossible. But, Lord, with you, all things are possible. And so, God, we just pray that you would bless all that need a touch from you today, all that need something special. God, do that for us, we pray. Not to our glory, but to your name be the glory. And so, God, we're going to be careful that when you've worked through those problems in our lives, God, when you've brought us through the storm, when you've brought us through the fire, that we'll look back and we'll give you praise for what you've done. You are so good to us. I thank you that the tomb is still empty. I thank you that he is still risen. I thank you that there is no name given under heaven whereby we must be saved except for the mighty name of Jesus Christ. It's him that we exalt today. Let your spirit permeate this place, God. Do it again, we pray. Thank you for this church. Thank you for this ministry. Thank you for everything that you've done for us and everything you're going to do. We exalt your name on high. It's in Jesus' name we pray these things. And Rushwood said together, amen. God bless you guys. Thank you so much for praying this morning. Give God some more praise as you're being seated. Well, I've got in my notes to tell you something good. We had a good week, as Kendra said earlier. We had a great week last week, a wonderful Easter season. Uh, 16 people were scheduled to be baptized, and we ended up with 19 people baptized. Three spontaneously chose to come and, uh, and take the dunk to get dunked in their church clothes, and I thought that was just beautiful and wonderful. We had, uh, I believe, our oldest person baptized was 78 all the way down to little kids who decided to be baptized. And you know, sometimes, yeah, praise God for that. That'd be a good place for it. Sometimes people say when they see little children being baptized, well, aren't they too young to be baptized? Well, Jesus said, let the little children come unto me and forbid them not, for of such is the kingdom of heaven. And they don't understand all of it, I know. And guess what? I don't understand all of it yet either, and neither do you. But all they need to understand is that Jesus loved them enough to die for them. And that they're a sinner and that they need a savior. I know when I was eight years old, I came to that realization that I was a sinner and I needed a savior. And I couldn't tell you a whole lot more about it at, at that point in time, but I knew I needed him in my life. I knew that I was afraid to lay down and go to sleep at night because I knew that I was a sinner. And so at eight years old, I understood. Some of my children were saved at younger ages than that. I said that out of our four children, we've baptized three of them already, and the oldest one is 12. And so I just, I think that's what parents are supposed to do. We're supposed to early bring our children to a saving knowledge of Jesus Christ. That's what we're supposed to work on and work toward. And yes, they'll relearn, and they'll have to rededicate, and they'll have to grow along the way, but... We're just thankful that God has been so good to us and uh, a wonderful weekend last weekend. Thank you guys for being part of that. Thank you for those who volunteered. Thank you for those who invited people. I do want to encourage you. We kind of know how seasons run within church. And we know that about Father's Day, that's usually when the drop-off starts for the summer. Uh, People aren't able to attend. They're on vacations and they're doing different things on Sundays. I would ask that you don't forget the church during the summer when we get to that point because you need to be here you need not to forsake the fellowship I had one friend who told me one time that people in his church would tell him after Father's Day well I'll see you when school starts back we don't need it to be that way you need to stay in contact with the body of Jesus Christ but I also want to encourage you during this time I think churches fail to leverage the time that after Easter running up to the summer this is still a great time to invite people to church We're going to have our youth Sunday, graduation Sunday, we're going to have our youth who are going to be leading us in worship that Sunday, celebrate our graduates, and again, please get that information in, uh, so that we can uh, help celebrate the graduations that are going on, that'll be a great Sunday to invite people, Mother's Day, we're going to have baby dedications, that's our tradition to do that on Mother's Day, and so uh, we would encourage you to invite people that Sunday. Tell people there's stuff good going on at Rushwood and invite them to be here. Not because we're the only church on the block and not because we're the only ones that God can use, but I just think God is here and God is moving and we would like more people to experience him and know him because time is getting short. One day Jesus is going to return and he's going to set everything right where it is. Everything's going to be locked into place. There'll be no need to evangelize then. There'll be no need to invite anybody to church because all decisions will have been made by that time and so we need to work while there's light we need to work while there's still an opportunity and I can't do it all our pastoral staff can't do it all in fact we're not supposed to do it all every Christian is called to be a minister and so we ask that you would minister to those in your sphere of influence invite them to church share your testimony let's win people to Jesus Christ while there's still time amen church let's do that together God is good Well the Bible, I believe, is the most important book of all time. I don't think that's even arguable. I think even from a secular standpoint, we have to understand the Bible is the most important book of all time. It's the first book that was ever printed. Gutenberg's printing press, the first thing produced was the Holy Bible. It is the best-selling book of all time. In fact, most booksellers don't even list it in the list because it is a given that the Bible is going to be the best-selling book year after year after year. Kind of scarily, uh, unfortunately, the Quran is now catching up a little bit. But the Bible has always been, up to this time, the best-seller. I believe the Bible has helped to shape and define Western culture. What a shame it is that our students in our schools oftentimes don't even get the Bible as history or the Bible as language, or they don't get exposure to the Bible because much of Western culture was built upon the principles that are in God's Word. I think even from a historical, from a literary standpoint, children should be exposed to God's Word. Children should understand about the Bible, and it's a shame that that doesn't happen so many times in so many places of education but the Bible is I believe the most important book of all time It's the most important book of all time certainly for Christians certainly for Christians it's great I love devotional literature I love to read through different books from different Christian authors and get their takes on things because that's family materials that's what the family has put out about Jesus and so I don't just read the Bible. I read all sorts of other things. I love C.S. Lewis and I love G.K. Chesterton and I love just uh, A.W. Tozer and there's just hundreds literally of Christian authors I like to read after but I want to be like John Wesley said, I want to be a man of one book. Primarily I want to be about one book and that book is God's holy word, the holy Bible. That's what I want to be about. For Christians we believe that Bible, it, the Bible is the word of God given to man it's God's Word to us and for us as Christians we believe the Bible is completely trustworthy everything it teaches we believe you can trust the tr- Bible is trustworthy and it is good and I know the Bible's under attack a lot anymore I know that there are people out there who are trying to tear it down but look they've been trying to tear the Bible down for 2,000 years and they haven't gotten the job done yet and I don't believe they're ever going to be able to because it's God's Word it's going to persevere Remember the story about Voltaire who said in a hundred years they won't even be making Bibles anymore. The Bible is just completely going to disappear. And after he died, the Bible Society in that area bought his house and they distributed Bibles out of his house. You can't get rid of God's Word. It is God's eternal Word. You can try to stamp it out. You can try to destroy it. It will always persevere. It will always be there because it is the eternal Word of God. As Christians, we believe the Bible contains everything we need for salvation. We don't need a second book. We don't need a man's opinion. Everything that we need to know to be saved and to live a godly life is contained in this book. And yes, I like to get other people's opinions and thoughts on what this book is all about, but this is all we really need at the end of the day for salvation is God's holy word. Unfortunately, I hear Christians say all the time when they're being honest, I don't really read my Bible I find the Bible to be very hard I find the Bible to be something that it's tough for me to get into I don't really if I'm honest I hear Christians say all the time I don't really read the Bible on a consistent basis and a lot of times that's followed up by Christians saying I don't really read it because I don't really understand it and I know there's different backgrounds there's different uh, people are wired up differently I love to read I would sit around and read all day I like to read better than I like to eat and I love to eat but I really love to read and my wife looks at me and says why would anybody sit around reading a book all day she doesn't understand it she doesn't get it she's not a reader I'm wired up as a reader we have different personalities and I get that but as a Christian I was told this many years ago Uh, I was at a youth conference And there was a guy named Jimmy Johnson, not the the coach of the Dallas Cowboys and not the race car driver, neither one of those. He was a pastor named Jimmy Johnson. And he told us, he said, look, guys, I'm dying of cancer. He said, this may be the last sermon I ever preach. He said, certainly for most of you, it will be the last time you ever see me alive and he said it may be the last sermon I ever preach and I asked God what he wanted me to tell you at this youth conference and he said I want to tell you this he said I believe it is a word from God you will not make it as a Christian if you don't get into God's Word and i never has left me that's always stuck with me a dying man who literally was speaking to dying men and women because we're all dying we're all going to cross over that river at one point or another if the Lord doesn't come back first but I'll never forget him saying you will not make it if you don't get into God's Word if you don't learn to love God's Word and daily make it a part of your life but Christians say I don't understand it I don't understand it I don't read it because I don't get it and actually Jesus said that God's Word is a Christians food remember before Jesus's ministry really began in earnest he's in the desert 40 days, 40 nights, Satan appears to him, tempts him. And one of the temptations is, after he'd been fasting for that period of time, Satan says, look at these stones here. Turn these stones into bread. You can have, you're you're the son of God. You can have something to eat right now. Turn these stones into bread and you'll be able to fill your stomach and you will be be able to, to withstand what's going on. And Jesus looks at him and says, man does not live by bread alone, but by every what? Word, by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God we need God's word it's our spiritual food I don't know if you've ever fasted before the most I've ever fasted in my life is three days gone three days three uh, three nights without food or water without food or drink and physically by the end I was so weak I had to take something in but so many times as we go through our spiritual life how many days do we go without feeding on God's word without having spiritual food no wonder spiritually we're weak no wonder spiritually we can't hold up under the strains of this life and serve God in a way that honors Him because we're not taking in His Word. We're not feeding ourselves on the nourishment that comes from the Word of God. So today, because I've heard so many Christians say, I don't understand the Bible, that's why I don't read it, I wanted to give you five things as quickly as I can, five things that I believe if you'll do these things or some of them if you'll withhold on these things, they will help you to understand God's word and they will help you I hope to fall in love with his word where you have to have it every day where you have to be fed on his word by the way we are starting a new series the series is called how to and over the next couple of months every Sunday I'm going to tell you how to do something or our ministry team is going to tell you how to do something that we believe you have to be able to do to be a devoted a fully devoted follower of Jesus Christ So today my message is how to understand the Bible. And I want to give you five secrets to understanding God's Word. Five secrets to understanding God's Word. Are you ready? All right. Notes would be great on this. If you want to take notes somewhere, you're certainly welcome to do that. But five secrets to understanding God's Word. Let me give you number one. I'll start out with my most controversial point. Might as well do that, right? Might as well get it out of the way right at the first. First thing read a translation that works for you read a translation that works for you let me let you in on a little secret no you do not have to only read the King James Version of the Bible my goodness let me say that for you right at the beginning and I know I have friends from all over the country and and they will they will just kind of laugh sometimes and they say really In your area, people really believe that? In your area, people really preach and teach that? I'm like, oh, yeah. I'm like, some of them worship King James way better than they worship King Jesus, if we're honest about it. I mean, people get locked in on that. I know some people just about don't think you're a Christian unless you only read the King James Version of the Bible. There's a word for those people. Wrong. Okay? Let me just say that right up front. Yeah, and this is a pet peeve of mine. It drives me crazy. We'll get somebody to come to a saving knowledge of Jesus Christ. They make a decision to follow Jesus. We'll get them a Bible that they're able to understand, which, by the way, is usually not the King James Version. King James Version is on about a 12th grade level. If you read Shakespeare in 12th grade, that came from the same era, okay? Most people, did you like Shakespeare in high school? Probably not. Most people probably didn't. But then you're reading a Bible that comes from that same era. And so all of a sudden, we'll give them a Bible that they can read, a Bible that's more on their level, a translation that's more on their level. And somebody will come along and say, what you reading there? Oh, well, that's not the right Bible. I don't know why your church gave you that. You can only read the King James Version. And here this person is thrown into confusion. Here they started reading the Bible, and they stopped reading the Bible. And all of a sudden, they get out of God's Word usually I don't know it's probably somebody named Grandma Gertrude I don't know I mean that's probably the person who comes by and unless Grandma Gertrude has gone to uh, an accredited seminary and actually knows what she's talking about as far as Bible translations go I would suggest don't listen to Grandma Gertrude because she's listening to her pastor who probably didn't go to an accredited seminary and probably doesn't know what he's talking about it doesn't have to be the King James Version all Bibles are translated from the original Greek Hebrew and Aramaic Now if you really want, if somebody says the Bible and you really want to know what the Bible says, you'll probably have to study Greek, Hebrew, and Aramaic and you probably don't want to do that. But we do have good English translations that you can read and that you can understand and will make it so much easier. Because when you're reading the King James Version, you're two levels away from understanding the Bible. The first level is just understanding the Bible. The second level is to understand the language it's been written in. So you're going two steps away from understanding the Bible instead of one. If you will get a good English translation that you can understand, it will move you. And by the way, King James was not even the original Bible in English. I know that's been put out there too. That's not true. It's not even the original translation in English. So it is okay to read other good translations. Now, I love the King James. I'm not trying to throw off this morning on the King James. The poetry the language is absolutely beautiful but I'm saying for a beginning Christian trying to understand God's Word it is so tough if you lock in only on that translation only on that version it is okay to read other good translations me what I do is I compare translations I'll look and I'll say the King James says this the New American Standard Bible says this uh, the NLT says this and I'll actually look and I'll compare and And I've even got tools where I go back to the original Greek and Hebrew sometimes to figure things out. But let me give you some translations that might help you. Let me give you some descriptions of some translations that might help you make a good choice about what Bible you study. The first one I put down is the NASB, New American Standard Bible. That is the most accurate English translation. Scholars who know, and I'm not a language scholar but I know language scholars and the language scholars will tell you probably the most accurate word-for-word translation of the Bible is the New American Standard Bible it's very precise in fact sometimes if you read the New American Standard Bible even it'll put in italics it'll put kind of in slanted writing words that had to be supplied that don't necessarily translate from the original language to English so it is very accurate it's a little tougher to read, and sometimes the language is a little stilted. It doesn't flow real well all the time. I'm pretty cool with it, but some people are not. But anyway, it, uh, it is very accurate. If you're wanting an extremely accurate version of the Bible translation, the NASB is good. The ESV, which is the English Standard Version, is also very accurate. And it's probably a little bit more readable than the NASB. I find a lot of the younger set, I find a lot of younger people really like the ESV. I don't use the ESV a lot, I guess that's because I'm getting older. But anyway, I find a lot of younger people like the English Standard Version of the Bible. If you just have to have that King James flow, if you just have to have something that's kind of like maybe what you grew up on or what Grandma Gertrude likes, the New King James Version might be a version that, that you can use it's just updated language it takes away some of the is and this and all those things from the King James so the new King James is a very good translation the NIV which for baby boomers was kinda like the King James version it became almost a standard Bible during the baby boomer generation new international version it's classic it's very readable, it's getting a little way away from word to, word to word translation and more to thought to thought translation, but still very good. The NLT, the New Living Translation, I use it a lot of times on Sunday mornings. It's getting more into trying to get the language to come alive than actually going word by word. But I like the theology of the people who translated the NLT. This is what my dad, my dad for, for most of his life, read the King James Version for his uh, Bible study for his devotions every morning and a few years ago he switched to the NLT and just absolutely loved it the Bible came alive to him in a new way the New Living Translation is a little bit more of a paraphrase translation but it's accurate enough that it's good especially that's usually what we give to new Christians is the New Living Translation it's very easy to understand very kind of modern in the way it words stuff we really like the NLT There is one Bible or translation, or actually it's a paraphrase that I would say don't read, and it is the Message Bible. If you have that this morning, just hide the cover. It's all right. Your neighbor won't have to see it. But the Message Bible was a paraphrase, paraphrased by one man, which is never really good, never usually good. Eugene Peterson paraphrase the message Bible when you're looking for a good reliable English Bible you're looking for something translated by a committee of people different opinions different kind of checks and balances and I think the message also has a little bit of a political agenda behind it and so I don't use the message uh, ever and I would I would just recommend that that's probably not a good translation to get into but the the answer is to find something you can read find something that works for you Find something on, your, on the level of reading that you enjoy and that makes the Bible come alive for you. If you have questions, you can always come to me. I'll be glad to give you whatever expertise I have on different translations. There are bad translations out there. The ones that I named are not bad translations. There are bad translations. There are some with agendas that are out there. Not every Bible is very accurate to what the original manuscript said. And so I'll be glad to help you if you have questions on that. But please get something that you will read. If you won't read it, there's no point to have it. You've got to find, have something that you will read and something that will help you understand God's Word. That was my first, most controversial point. Are we still okay? Ah, deep breath, or are we all good? You know, you may have some friends who say, You go to that church, I can't believe that. But anyway, that's all right. You probably got that already. Number two. Number two, the second thing, don't read the Bible straight through it first. Don't try to read it straight through it first. If you just have become a Christian and you're just following Jesus, I would not try to read it straight through it first. That's not where I would start. What I always tell people to do, I think this is a great order for reading the Bible. The first book you should probably read when you become a Christian is the book of John, the gospel of John. The reason for that is John wrote his gospel to the entire world the entire world he wrote his gospel uh, for all of us and so I would start with the Gospel of John it's about uh, three-fifths of the way back in your Bible I would start with the Gospel of John then I would go back after you read the Gospel of John there's three other Gospels Matthew Mark and Luke I would read John first and then I would go back and I would read Matthew Mark and Luke they all give you a little different view of the life of Christ the life and work of Jesus Christ so, start with John, go back, read Matthew, Mark, and Luke. Then I would skip back over John and read from Acts all the way to the end of the Bible, the book of Acts all the way to Revelation. I would read the New Testament all the way through. That's the first thing I would do. After you've done that, after you've read the Gospel of John, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, read from Acts to Revelation, I would go back and I'd read the whole thing over again before I read anything else. Before I even went into the Old Testament, I would read the New Testament through twice. There's a fellow named James Tor. He is a Jewish Christian, not Christian scientist, but he's a Jewish scientist who is a Christian. Let me say that so you'll understand it. He is a PhD in synthetic organic chemistry. In other words, he is one of the world's smartest men, an absolute brilliant man who came to Christ several years ago. And he says he has a theory that no one can read the New Testament through from the book of Matthew all the way to the book of Revelation twice without becoming a Christian he said if they'll just simply read from Matthew to Revelation twice and really try to take it in and really give it a fair hearing he said he doesn't think anybody can read the book through twice without becoming a Christian now imagine there's some exceptions to that but he says that's a pretty hard and fast rule he believes if you read the New Testament through twice you will come to faith in Jesus So I recommend that you read it through twice before you go into the Old Testament read the New Testament through twice in the order that I talked about. People fail in reading their Bible because they'll start with the book of Genesis and at first it's pretty exciting, you got the creation, you got the fall of man, you've got Noah's Ark, you've got all these things going on and you'll probably get through Genesis okay. And then Exodus, it's really exciting. Moses and the things going on with Moses and the deliverance from, of the children of Israel from Egypt. And, you know, you're going to get through that pretty good. But toward the end of Exodus, you're going to start bogging down. You know, when you get into Leviticus and Deuteronomy and Numbers, you're, you're, you're going to start to struggle a little bit. And a lot of times at that point where there's descriptions of what the tabernacle is supposed to look like and descriptions of what the temple is supposed to look like. In the sacrificial system, people say, okay, I'm done with this. I can't get through it anymore. And so just be careful. I would say read, especially if you have to just read something and just focus on something, focus on the New Testament. Psalms are good. You can read the book of Psalms every day. You can read a new psalm, and that gives life because it's songs literally written to God and about God. But if you bog down, go to some place in the Bible where you need to be in God's Word. So go to some place where you can take in His Word afresh and a new don't bog down you might have to read the New Testament three or four times before you can tackle the Old Testament it's okay the key is you need to be in God's Word I put this in my notes I would rather you read some part of the Bible every day than to try to read it all straight through and quit you need to be in God's Word read some part every day read something that gives you life within God's Word yes is all God's Word important absolutely But it's not important that necessarily that you read it all at once straight through. Number three, third thing for you: read to get the big picture. Anybody like to put together puzzles? Anybody? I know when I was a little kid, I loved to put together puzzles. That kind of dropped off, but you know you get the 500-piece puzzle, thousand-piece puzzle. You've got these puzzles with all these pieces. And I meant to do this, I just kind of ran out of time this weekend. But I was actually going to bring in one of those puzzles. And if I took one of the little tiny pieces they have in these puzzles with all the thousands of pieces and I took it out to you and I just handed you one of the pieces, without you seeing the box, without you seeing any of the design, just one of the pieces, and I said, hey, tell me what this puzzle is all about. You wouldn't be able to do it. There's no way from that one little piece you would be able to identify. I mean, the best you could have is an educated guess, but you would not be able to identify what the puzzle is all about from one tiny piece. The Bible is like that. This book contains thousands of tiny pieces that add up to one big picture. And I think a lot of times we got, get bogged down on the little individual pieces instead of trying to look for the big picture. When you read the Bible, you're always trying to get the big picture. You're always trying to get the overall view. That's very important to do it that way. Let me give you an example of this. Psalm chapter one, 11, verse 5. Psalm chapter 11, verse 5 from the New Living Translation says the Lord examines both the righteous and the wicked he hates those who love violence the Lord examines both the righteous and the wicked he hates those who love violence now you can take this from several different translations and it's going to say about the same thing to you now this may amaze you because the second part of that verse literally says God hates certain people God hates those who love violence, and you think, if you only take that one small now you can't throw that piece of the puzzle away. Isn't it frustrating if you're working on this big puzzle and you get down to the end and you find out there's a piece or two missing? You've done this whole thing, spent all this time arranging this whole thing, and you find out the box, you know, somehow you lost a couple of pieces or it didn't contain those pieces. You don't have the whole picture if you're missing those little pieces. But like I said earlier, if you only focus on those pieces, you miss the big picture. It's the same thing with this verse. If we only focused on that verse, if that's the only verse we talked about, if that was our entire view of God, if that one little piece is what we focused on, we would say, well, we've got a God who's hateful. We've got a God who doesn't like people very much. We've got a God who's an angry God. If we only focused on that one little piece. Now, look, we can't throw that piece away because it's still part of God's Word. But how many verses in the Bible talk about the love of God compared to that? It's overwhelming when you take the whole picture and when you're looking for the big picture you find out we have a loving God who is merciful and he's forgiving and he chases down people who go astray and he, he, he's full of grace and you find all this out so if we only focused on that one little piece we would have the wrong doctrine we would have the wrong theology about God be careful of making a huge doctrine out of one little part of the Bible everything we would call this context you have to set everything in context yes and there's there's one little facet of God there's one little anger uh, angle of God there where he gets angry at certain people for doing certain things but when you take the whole picture and when you put it all together you find a much different view of God and we have to do that with everything I think a lot of the errors in understanding the Bible is we get focused on one little sliver one little piece and we forget to look for the big picture Always read for the big picture. Always put things in context. I'll have, I'll, I'll preach on something and I'll have somebody sometimes bring me one verse that contradicts what I'm preaching about and they basically say, Here, here you go, you're wrong. I'm like, No, I understand that. That's one piece, but I'm trying to take everything in context. I'm trying to understand the big picture and how it all fits together. That's very important to do. Always read for the big meaning, always read for the big picture. And by the way, a good principle of understanding the Bible is those things that are clear in the Bible explain those things that aren't clear. There's some verses that aren't clear. There's some verses that are hard to understand. But there's some things that are really easy to understand. When the Bible says God is love, that's really easy to understand. It's a clearer picture of who he is, and that helps explain the things that aren't as clear. All right, we're still awake I know I'm giving you facts. I know I'm giving you ways to do things. I know this isn't the most exciting, rah-rah thing, but you need to know this. You really need to know this to become a complete follower of Jesus Christ. Number four, fourth thing to do, read to become more like Jesus. Read to become more like Jesus. The goal of the Bible and reading the Bible is not just to check the box and say, okay, got my Bible reading done for the day. I've done that before. Can we be honest? Can we be confessional? Sometimes I just read it. I don't even remember what I read. My mind was a thousand miles away, but hey, I read it. Check that box and move on. That's not the goal of reading the Bible. It's just to check the box and say, okay, did that good? Did that right today? That's not the goal. The goal of reading the Bible is not to learn more facts. It's good to know facts about what the Bible teaches, but that, if that's all you're getting from it, that's not the ultimate goal. The goal of reading the Bible is not to find ammunition to use against others. Like I, I just can imagine some people reading the Bible and they say, Oh, wow, you wait till I put that one on Facebook. You wait till I put that verse out there. That's talking about them. That's exactly what they need to hear, those terrible people out there. That's not the goal of reading the Bible. The goal of reading the Bible is not just to build up our self esteem and confidence. Sometimes the Bible does build up our self-esteem. Sometimes, especially when we find out who we are in Christ, it lifts us up and it builds up our self-esteem. But sometimes the Bible comes at you and something will hit you and you say, Oh, man, I'm in trouble. I've messed up. I need to change some things. The Bible will change you if you allow it. It will correct you if, it will, if you will allow it. So it's not always just to do that. Reading the Bible is not just to find talking points to win debates. I love how I see people online debating back and forth about religious things, theological things, and one will use this part of the Bible and one will use that part of the Bible, and again, they're doing the little thing where they're only looking at one piece so many times, but that's not the goal, to win debates. That's that's not why we study the Bible. The goal of reading the Bible is to become more like Jesus Christ. He's the perfect person. He's God in the flesh. Anything that we have that becomes more like him, any facet of our life that becomes more like his life, is an improvement is the goal for the Christian 2nd Timothy three sixteen says all scripture is inspired by God yeah even the parts in Leviticus that put you to sleep they're inspired by God all scripture is inspired by God and is useful to teach us what is true and to make us realize what is wrong in our lives it corrects us when we are wrong and teaches us to do what is right oh my goodness can we believe that sometimes we're wrong Sometimes we don't have it all together. Sometimes we're in error. And since God's Word is completely trustworthy, when we disagree with the Bible, guess who's right? The Bible. God's Word. I say sometimes somebody's wrong and it ain't God. It corrects us. It reproves us. It changes us. God's Word teaches us what is true, teaches us when we're wrong. God's Word guides our steps. Number five. When you read this book, you need to read it with the author. You need to read it with the one who wrote it. I had to read a lot of books in college and seminary, and sometimes we would argue, you know, what the books meant, and I'm not, not like knockdown drag out arguments or anything like that. But in class we would have disagreements about what the author of the book we had to read actually meant. But occasionally I would have the textbook was written by the professor who was teaching the class. And by the way, don't sign up for those classes. If the professor wrote the textbook, you ain't getting out easy at all. You've got to get everything right. But we would have sometimes, I I had a thousand page commentary on Romans that the professor of the class actually wrote. And we had to turn his thousand page commentary into about a 50 page commentary on Romans. It was a lot of work. But anyway, the argument was completely cleared up when we had the, the professor who wrote the textbook. Because if we had an argument about what was meant in the book, all we had to do was ask him. I did have one guy one time, though, he said, I'm going to go back and disagree with myself. He said, because what I believed then, now I don't quite believe. And that happened on one occasion. But most of the time, if we had a disagreement about what the book meant, all we had to do was ask the professor if he wrote the book, hey, what did you mean by that? The author cleared up the meaning of what we were reading. The Bible teaches us that if you're a Christian, the Holy Spirit lives in you. The Holy Spirit dwells in you. And so we have the author of this book living inside of us. And if we will just tune into him, if we will just understand, tune into him, ask him what he meant in some of the things he wrote, he will give us insight. He will reveal the truth. He will make it easier for us to understand. Now, one principle there is God's spirit will never contradict his word. Amen, Brent. That's good. Let's try that again. God's spirit will never contradict his word if you think that God is saying something to you that goes against what the Bible is teaching you have misheard God bad you're probably hearing yourself you're probably not hearing the Holy Spirit talking to you because God's Holy Spirit will never contradict his holy word but it is very useful when we go to God's word to talk to and read the word with the one who wrote it that's why you should pray before you read the Bible When you do your devotions in the morning, most people do it in the morning, some that may not be possible, and you do it at night or lunch or whenever, but when you're doing your devotions, you should first of all pray. You should say, God, I want you to reveal something new to me. God, I want you to reveal something to me that will help me. God, I want you to reveal something to me that will change me. God, convict me if you need to. You need to pray before you get into God's Word. You need to ask the author of the book to tell you what it's all about. Jeremiah chapter 33 and verse 3 says call to me and I will answer you and I will tell you great and unsearchable things that you do not know the same God who was revealing stuff to the Prophet Jeremiah is the same God that lives in me and you and he will reveal stuff to you that you have never seen before you have never heard before he will give you new insight he will give you new truth for living if you'll just turn to him It's amazing. I hear people say this all the time. I've read that book, I've read that chapter, I've read that verse 20 times, 30 times, but all of a sudden something new just leapt off of the page. And it just grabbed my heart and it just stirred me and it changed me. That's the Holy Spirit of God showing you something different. That's the author telling you what the book is all about. When you read the book, you need to ask the author, you need to ask God, you need to ask the Holy Spirit to help you to understand, to reveal to you what's going on if you'll just do those five things there are five simple things this morning like I said I know this isn't the biggest rah-rah teaching that I've ever done it's nothing to get pumped up or necessarily excited about but it will help you there's help available in these things that I've taught you this morning to help you understand God's Word because I believe as Jimmy Johnson pastor Jimmy Johnson said many years ago you will not be the Christian that God wants you to be if you don't consistently feed on his word if you're not consistently in the Word of God and I want to help you to do that. If you have more struggles, come to me. Talk to me. Talk to Pastor Jason. Talk to other people in our staff and ask them what they do. But you need to be in God's Word. It's a, it's a shame that Christians are so biblically illiterate anymore. We've not dug down enough. We don't understand enough that sometimes this culture eats our lunch. We, we go with the culture instead of what God teaches. And so I believe these five things will help you understand the Word of God. I hope you're thankful for the Word of God today by the way we're blessed most of us have multiple copies of the Bible on our shelves most of us have multiple translations on our shelves there have been times in the past and there are time and there are places right now where it's not that easy to have God's Word where you're criminalized if you have God's Word where it has to be smuggled in sometimes a page or a verse at a time we are blessed we have so much light in this country And as Keith Green said many years ago, sometimes we're asleep in the dark, even though we have so much light. Our freedoms can be taken away in a second, and so we need to be thankful for those freedoms that God has blessed us with. And one of those is to investigate His Word, to understand His Word, and to be blessed by His Word. Well, y'all, we're going to transition a little bit here this morning. There's no altar call on that. The altar call is read your Bible. The older call is being God's word. If you, if you won't do that, there's nothing I can do to help you on that. But we did have at the end of service last week, uh, again, I told you that we had uh, three, uh, three people come up and spontaneously be baptized at the end of the Easter service. And then afterwards we had a mom come to me and she said, My little girl wants to be baptized. Can we baptize her next week? And usually because it does cost, you know, water bill and everything to fill up for for baptism and all, we don't usually necessarily do that on a second week. But I said, well, the water's already there. She already wants to be baptized. Let's go ahead and let's schedule some more baptisms for next week. So uh, through God's blessing, we actually have four more people who want to be baptized this Sunday. Give God some praise for that. And uh, same thing as last week, we're going to call them to the front and we're going to question them. And guys, gals being baptized, you can come on forward at this time. Um, we're going to question them so we can make sure that they are proper people to receive the sacrament of baptism. And I'd like, also like to invite you just last, like last week, if you want to make a confession, and that's really what baptism is, you want to make a confession that you are following Jesus, you're not turning back, that your life is in his hands if you want to join them today we have extra towels we can dunk you as well and we can get you to, to, to be part of the family so if you want to join them you, you have to come right now um, but if you want to join them and make that confession you can come up front you can take these vows and you can join them in the sacrament of bat- baptism as I said last week baptism is not the door to salvation it is an outward sign of an inward work that God has already done in our hearts it proclaims to the entire world I have decided to follow Jesus him will I follow and him will I obey today we want to question these candidates so you might know that they are qualified through the work of Jesus Christ to be baptized as Christians baptism candidates I'm going to ask that you will turn and face the congregation please at this time candidates have you repented of your sins and place your faith in jesus christ as savior do you believe in god the father the son and the holy spirit that jesus christ suffered in your place on the cross that he died but rose again that he will return to judge all people on the last day if so candidates please say i do candidates is it your intention to live for him for the rest of your life growing in holiness and sharing his good news wherever you can. If so, baptism candidates, please say, it is. All right, church, they're ready. And so we're going to go to the back. The worship team is going to play some traveling music for us as we do that. And we'll be back with you in just a second.
1: Please stand and worship with us. You brought heaven down. My sin was great, your love was greater. What could Can you stand again?
0: Church, I think that's the first time we've ever had baptisms on uh, two consecutive Sundays. So That's a wonderful thing, if you can give God some praise for that. And just like last week, we had uh, one who wasn't scheduled but who chose to join us, so what a beautiful thing that was. In the back, they told me, we actually have somebody here today named Grandma Gertrude, And I wasn't talking about her. I was talking about the other Grandma Gertrude. Uh, but my point was still right, whatever it is. but God is good. God is good. We have been really blessed over the last couple of weeks, and there's a something called holy momentum, and I believe our church has it right now. Let's be in prayer. Let's be inviting people. Let's capitalize on it. God is wanting to do something special right here and right now. And guess what? We get to be a part of it. And that's so good. Let's pray together. Father, I just give you thanks. What a wonderful, wonderful name it is, the name of Jesus. Thank you that you've met with us last week. You've met with us this week. And God, you're going to meet with us next week and Wednesday night. And God, you're going to even meet with us when we're not in this place. Because we're your people. We're the sheep of your pasture. So God, I just pray right now that you would bless us as we leave here. That we would tell people about what we've seen here today. That we would fall in love with your word. And feed on that on a consistent basis until we become strong and mighty in you. Lord, you're so good to us. Peaks, valleys, hills, mountains. You're with us everywhere. And we give you thanks for that today. Go with us as we leave. Help us to exalt the name of Jesus. It's in his name we pray these things, and everyone said together, amen. I love you, and there's nothing you can do about it. I hope you have a great week. We hope to see you Wednesday night and next Sunday morning. God bless you.